0: This podcast is sponsored by FHE Health and their shatterproof program for first responders. You know, every time I have the honor of speaking with somebody who served in the special warfare community in the United States military, they are the most down to earth, humble people in the world. And they do it all for their country to keep us safe. My next guest, you're going to love Andrew Sully Sullivan is on the show. He's the president and CEO of Community First Project and Blue Force Strategies Incorporated. He is doing so much good work for our first responders, which he's going to talk about. Now, Andrew is a retired U.S. Navy SEAL, Senior Chief Petty Officer, with almost 20 years of experience in the SEAL teams. First with SEAL Team 2, then on to Devgrew, which is Development Group in the United States Navy, the elite, the best of the best. You do not want to miss this show with Andrew Sully Sullivan next on the CJ Evolution podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to have Sully Sullivan on the show. You're going to love him. Great guy. Just an amazing individual. Thank you for tuning in to the show. And special thanks to you, the first responder, the criminal justice professional, the military individual out there, and veterans who are listening. Thank you so much. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. We know you're going to love the show. Long-time listener, welcome back. And share this show with family and friends. And if you are suffering or you know somebody who is struggling right now, please give me a call. I can help you. 303-960-9819. FHE Health and their shatterproof program for first responders is here for you.
1: What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people, when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment, doing the breath therapy that's done here, the transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here and it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there they should be afforded the ability to come get help when they need help it has gotten better but we still have a long way to go
0: everybody welcome back very excited to have my next guy on the show he's an amazing individual doing a lot for the first responder community everywhere andrew sully sullivan retired senior chief in the u.s navy a special warfare operator he can talk a little bit about that andrew welcome brother
2: hey thanks for having me i appreciate it happy to be here
0: well, man, you did uh, twenty years, nearly, uh, in the United States yeah. Navy. I'm sure you get this question all the time, brother. I'm going to ask you again: What was the catalyst? What made you put the hand up and say, "I'm going to serve and defend the U.S. Constitution and uh, the United States"?
2: Yeah, it, absolutely. It was it was one of those things I had the thought in my mind since high school, and I don't know where it came from. But um, for me, the 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 straw that the one that made me actually enlist was 9/11. Yeah. Um, you know, the very next day I was trying to find a recruiter and had a meeting and told them send me out as soon as you can um, next train to uh, boot camp and thinking I would do four years and that turned into a career. And, you know, I knew I would never work with a group of guys as as talented or as, as special as the ones that I was with. So it, it kept me in and it kept me doing the job as long as I did.
0: Thank you for your service, brother. Did you know, Thank did you. you go into the Navy saying, um, I want to be a SEAL? I want to be a team guy. Or did yes. you go in starting something else and then go ahead?
2: No, I had no desire to do anything in the military other than to be a SEAL. So um, I, I went in on a SEAL contract and I don't know. I think they have that still. I don't know. But basically, it guaranteed me a shot to try out for the teams at boot camp. And if I passed the screener, I got a chance to go to Buds. And I went in the boot camp pretty good shape, passed the screener, no problem. And back then, you had to go to A school first. So I was an intelligence specialist. I had to go to ISA school in Virginia and that was, I think, eight weeks. So as soon as that finished, I went to Bud's and made it through first time and went to seal team two. Wow. I mean, first, all downhill from there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then you did, uh, a long time, what, 11 years with dev group development group. And for people out there who don't know what it is, we have Google, uh, (laughs) you can Google that, uh, development group, uh, which is, you know, uh, SMU it's it's a tier one unit yeah. now for the people out there who, who don't know so you got your regular seals and I shouldn't say regular they're all badasses so seals the seal community and then you have you can you can go through selection to be part of dev which is like double badass squared so what's that without getting into the details I mean you're competing again with team guys so it must be an yeah. extremely competitive
2: Super competitive. Uh, That being said, not everybody screens, Um, especially it's in on the East Coast. So guys on the West Coast, it's a lot more of a challenge to get guys to pick the families up and move across country um, to do it. But at the end of the day, it's a different mission set and it's a different funding line. So it's the job that everybody thought they were going to have when they joined the teams. Um, and it's a much smaller group of guys and obviously just as motivated, but very more specific job. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's where I want it to be. It's where a lot of guys want to be, but it's about a 60% attrition rate for that course as well. Wow. And it's far more stressful for than buds, in my opinion, to get to the tier one unit just because nobody quits. You know, at this point, you've already made it through all the training. You made it through BUDS and SQT. You've gone to a, a team. I went to team two. I did two full cycles there, which is an 18-month workup and a deployment. So about four years. So almost six years total to get to that selection course. I knew I wasn't quitting. And very seldom. I, I don't think I've ever heard of someone quitting. So the stress is you don't perform well enough to make it through. And these are guys who spent their entire careers being successful at sports, at the military, at whatever they've tried to do, they haven't failed. And now you have this pressure of performance um, surrounded by your peers, being trained by your peers of the group of guys that you want to be like and, and being told you're not good enough is is wow, it's awful. The stress every day uh, um, for selection was was unbelievable and um, harder than buds, in my opinion.
0: And then the operational tempo of that group is just go yeah. go 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 go, always on deployment.
2: It yeah. and it, it has definitely tapered off over the years. But when I I got there in 08, we were we were nonstop.
0: Um, yeah,
2: and, and hard to keep a marriage in a
0: family when you're gone so much. I was going to say, yeah, uh,
2: in doing that job, so the divorce rate is high, and it takes a special person on the on the wife's side to to put up with that, and it. For us, it's hard being away from them and it's hard being away from our kids, but it's a calling. And yeah. it, it's something when, when I joined, I I knew that I had the ability to help. And, and I looked at it always as I was making this country safer for my kids, for my family, for my friends, for my community. And I had the ability to do it. And I validated that by making it through BUDS and making it through selection and doing those deployments. And it just wasn't something that I felt... Um, I could stop doing. Yeah, as long as wow. I was capable of doing it.
0: Wow, and I heard and and tell me if I'm wrong, Sully. That you know, I mean, obviously being a part of of that elite unit, seals and Demker, obviously it's very physical. But a lot, especially when you go through buds, you correct me if I'm wrong. Right. I don't know a lot. It's more mental, right? I mean, willing yeah. your willing yourself. I mean, the physical part is hard, but if you have it up here, then you're probably going to make it, right? Yeah, it's absolutely
2: physical, but the mental side of it is being able to take that physical and and ignore the pain and keep moving forward. Yeah. Right. And what's what we want? We want to recreate stress, physical stress of combat to make sure that you have the mental capability to handle it and keep taking the fight to the enemy. Yeah. So, you know, they they try to recreate that without actually shooting at you and, and hurting you. So yeah, it is it is a mental kick in the
0: in the junk for sure. <laughs> Which is the reason why what the attrition rate is what sixty seventy percent maybe higher. Yeah. I don't know.
2: And buds, it's it's pretty high. I, I think I started with one hundred and eighty five in my class, and we graduated about twenty four of those. So it's pretty
0: high. What are some of the misnomers out there, Sully? With with seals, I mean. Um, I remember hearing that, you know, you got to be huge. You got to be big. You got to be all beefed up. And I remember when I was in airborne school in the army, there was a couple, uh, I don't think they were team guys yet. I think they still they haven't got their trident yet. I think when they went through yeah. airborne school in the military or in the army, but these guys were, they were, they were, you could tell they were fucking beasts, but they were kind of, they were thin. They were like, yeah. these guys went all day, but is it, I always thought that, you know, you, you see all these big, huge guys, um, do those typically make it through the big, huge, you know, weightlifters and stuff like that? Or I would think it would be the opposite, right?
2: It is the opposite. It's more it's hard to come into buds with a lot of weight. Yeah, um, on the muscular side, because you don't have the endurance to be able to, to sustain for the swims, the runs and things like that. So and you'll stack up
0: after when you get to your team, you will you know, build. yeah, that. guys,
2: once guys get to a team and they, they figure out what their workouts going to be, the CrossFit or, or whatever it is that guys decided, at least in my time. Now it's very structured. You know, they they spend so much money on human performance because yeah. they realize the cost it takes to train one of us and they don't want to lose us to injury. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot more scientific than it used to be. And, you know, you look at 80s team guys and they were a lot of meatheads and they just lift <laughs> a lot of weight, but that was the culture <laughs> in pro sports as well. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right? Exactly. And, you
2: know, so we had a little bit of that carry over, but then, it, you know, CrossFit got big towards in the beginning there and, and you know, guys were in great shape, but going through buds, it, it there had to be a caveat to that. Yeah, and, and even in combat, you know, going to Afghanistan and being in the, the, you know, some of those mountain ranges, if, if you're a big weightlifter, it's going to crush you. It's going to crush your lungs. You, yeah. you, we, we've had guys fall out on ops because they couldn't carry their gear. And these are dudes that'll bench 400 pounds, but they were just too big for the mission set. So, yeah. you know, it's one of those things that you, you really have to think about what you're doing with your body and to your body to be able to do the job effectively. And as long as you can do the job, nobody cares what you look like. You can be tiny. You can be huge. You can be in between.
0: As long as you're it's getting the job done. Mission
2: success. That's all that matters.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now let's pivot a little bit, brother. So you, you did many years. Again, thank you for your service uh, in the Navy. Right. You, you got out. You medically retired. Uh, what got you on this course with, um, and I should have mentioned, I'm sorry, you're the president and CEO of Community First and Blue Force Strategies. What got you on the course You know that you're on right now? I mean, cause you, you could probably do whatever you want. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing now, but should you go be a contractor? I mean, do do whatever you want. What made you go that route?
2: You know, I I've always been a service oriented people person, right? That's why I joined. I felt like I had something to offer. And throughout my career, I've always trained law enforcement, you know, and I've offered training up to local police. I'm from Massachusetts. So Boston police, you know, we, we, have training evolutions around the country for different things. And we always reach out to local police to see if they need help. And it's just because they're underfunded and undertrained. And and we're trying to, we have this knowledge set because tactics, that's our number one job. That is not the number one job of the police force. So it often gets lost in the budgeting for training. So I knew coming up that I wanted to do something to be able to give back to that community. And I I started blue force first, which was a for-profit company. And we did a lot of training of military, mostly tier one, um, government agencies, and then police. But the only police that really could afford what we had to offer were bigger city right? people that had a budget. And, And those weren't really the people that needed the additional training. So that was 2020. And, you know, I just remember watching the news at the time and seeing a bunch of critical incidents play out from, you know, Stoneman Douglas, Pulse Nightclub. And, and now that we have the body cams, being able to watch the footage and, and see the mistakes that were being made, and you know, I'm sitting here watching the public scream at cops and defund and, and all the stuff, and I'm thinking, no, that that that's not their fault. Like oh. they're literally doing what they're being taught. Absolutely. They're just not being how to taught how to handle those situations. Yeah. And and that didn't sit right with me that I'm charging you know x amount of dollars for training to try and help this community. And not one of them can afford me to come in and do it. So yeah. that that was the catalyst for me to start a community first project, which is my 501C3. And uh, you know, our mission is community safety. And we do that by providing patrol officers and school resource officers the critical training that they need to be able to respond to a high stress, high threat incident. So active shooter, active terror. You know, you know, even a warrant service where they they're going up against someone who's armed. These are things that they do not train for no. on a regular basis, if at all. Yeah, right? we're, we're talking about a community that shoots their guns maybe twelve hours a year, and Absolutely. that's just to do a, to do a recall. Yeah. So you know, I I want them to have access to the knowledge that I gained over my two decades in the SEAL teams, going out on targets every night, and you know everything we do, it's it's. Potential to turn into an active shooter, where we're going up against someone who's either barricaded or has hostages, and and we are the responding unit, and we're the best in the world at it.
0: Absolutely. And I,
2: and I have this knowledge, and I have nobody to give it to. And you know, how do I give it to them for free? Because I have a 11 and a 14 year old who go to school. I want the responding officer to be capable of saving their lives. So th- that was it. We we started in 2022. We formed the nonprofit. Uh, August of 22, we started fundraising and training. And to date, we're at about $600,000 raised and about 750 officers trained and no no stopping. You know, we're just going to keep going and raising money. And unfortunately, uh, uh, those numbers seem great, but I have to, I don't want to say turn down, but, you know, I have to put on hold about 75% of the police departments that reach out to me because I just don't have the budget yet.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So, you
2: know, my job, as much as I love training cops has turned into fundraising and, and I'm at a good point where I'm able to bring in retired guys and former command guys to do the training. And I just, I'm going out and trying to
0: find money to to fund it. That's amazing, brother. I mean, yeah. much, much needed. And, you know, coming from a, you know, uh, I did a career in law enforcement. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, training is one of those things where hey, we we would do, and this is not a knock on agencies, but you only yeah. have so many dollars. Yeah. Um, and we would often cut training. Uh, we do our calls and and tactical shoots and stuff like that, but you know, some of it would just fall on the wayside and you're absolutely right. Yeah. Especially in this environment that we live in this, this world right now where there's threats all over the place, um, with what's going on in the world. Yes, I want cops that are going to be there on scene first, obviously, hence the name, yeah. to t- be able to take care of business, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Uh, and I see. And again, I'm not trying to armchair quarterback, but invariably we do. I saw a reel a couple of days ago where these poor cops northeast uh, are trying to get a hold of this one guy. And there's like four cops there. One cop's getting his ass kicked and the other three are like, uh, oh, I guess, yeah. we'll, because they're so afraid to do anything, I think. You know, I, I think so it's a combination
2: of, of, of fear, not knowing right? what to
0: do. Not knowing what to do, and they don't want to get
2: in trouble for doing what they do know how to do. But honestly, if you put one of these officers in a situation where they fear for their lives, and maybe that's because they're not capable of physically handling a suspect, they're going to revert to fight or flight. And if they can't leave, they're going to pull their weapon and they're going to use it. And that's because they don't have the in-between training to be Absolutely. able to manage the situation. So, you know, these officers are are getting tried and and convicted of, you know, manslaughter or whatever the case may be, because they don't know, they've never been taught how to do their job better. And and that's not their fault. It's, you know, blame departments, blame the policymakers and the the people writing the budget and blame ourselves for not even realizing this and pushing for better training for law enforcement. It's, It's not the individual officer's fault in most cases. In some cases, it is. Yeah. And there's no way absolutely. around but in most cases it's not. And, you know, I, I made this comment on another podcast. If you are a person who repeatedly confronts police or is, is a criminal who puts themselves in a situation where they're stressing a police officer out, it's only a matter of time before you run into an officer who isn't capable of handling the situation. And when they're not capable of handling the situation, the risk for someone getting hurt or dead is is, is very high. Yeah. And and
0: that's what we're seeing a lot, you know, absolutely. And And you look at the, the, the liability associated with somebody getting in, you know, strapping on a gun, getting, you know, you know, going out on a car and patrolling, that is liability in itself, not to mention the the confrontation. So I guess my, my point is, is you would think administration, staff, brass would say, Shit, we gotta we gotta bring in people like Sully to to train us better and to to handle the escalation and do all this other stuff better so we can avoid those confrontations. And most yeah. cops don't get into those confrontations, but the 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 confrontations they do get into, like you said, it can be deadly. I mean, it could be result yeah. in a, a bad shooting. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So-
2: and it, it's you know, I think a lot of departments are looking to bring people in. But they can't afford to bring the the, the people like me, yeah. you know, which is their whole reason for the nonprofit. So what they do is they get other police officers to train, who have been taught the same way they've been taught, Absolutely. which isn't working. You know what <laughs> I mean? So you're just perpetuating the the um, the the incorrect response by teaching yourselves the same behaviors Yeah. And, and not that there aren't cops who are doing a great job at it. There are some cities that are very progressive and in the past have brought in people like me to, to do it. It's it's not, it's not happening enough.
0: Well, but then, yeah. like you said, brother, it's cause it's the big, big budget cities, LA, yeah. you know, NYPD. Yeah. I mean, those are the aid in Dallas. Those are the agencies that generally can afford somebody like you to come in yeah, and, and you know, give some high-speed training. And let me ask you this, when you go train officers and I'm assuming they are street officers and SWAT units and stuff like that, is is that a, are you go in there and train them, give them some foundations. I mean, is it, is it, uh, there's there subsequent follow-up to that or remedial training, or is it just kind of like a one and done?
2: It's, it's definitely not a one and done. You know, I, I, I like to talk in terms of relationships, not transactions. Mm-hmm. So I will do a week of training and I'm very transparent there's nothing that I can teach you in a week that is going to truly fix the problem.
0: Sure. But what I
2: can do in a week is I can come in and I can identify a lot of your training uh, shortfalls and help you build a training plan that's going to fix this over time. And during that week, I can also give you a really solid baseline, like the fundamentals, the things that you should be learning in the academy and you're not, we're going to work on that. Yeah. And, you know, nine out of 10 officers that I train at the patrol level or resource officer level have never entered a door tactically. They don't know how to read a door. They don't know how to clear a corner. They don't know you know gun safety and manipulation, transition drills to to, to secondary. They just have never had that training. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that is that's core fundamental principles of CQB that they don't have. That's and amazing. we're trying to get it to them. So, that's- you know, I, I'd love to just. You know, know, obviously my goal, if I get enough funding is to be able to make this training accessible to all the departments all the time. So it it becomes second nature to these officers. And then we can look at, all right, how do we get the more advanced training? How do we bring in technology like drones and shields and and other things that are going to save and protect lives? Absolutely. Uh, But but we got to start somewhere and we're going to start with the
0: fundamentals. That's amazing, brother. It's almost like, you know, it's like when those bad habits are so hard to break, like with shooting, I'd rather get somebody who knows nothing and build up from there, than trying to break bad habits when it comes to yeah. to shooting.
2: <laughs> and it's, you know, we'll do a day on the range first because every, and, and again, this isn't SWAT and, and this isn't me picking on police officers, right? Because they no, do a yeah. phenomenal job at 99% of their job, but this is the 1% that they hardly ever have to do. So they don't train enough for it or budget enough for it in the training. But the majority of officers that I work with on the range train to shoot a qual. They don't train to be in a tactical situation. And that becomes a problem when you find yourself in a tactical situation, right? They don't shoot and move. They shoot very static and, and very, you know, you know, equilateral uh, stance and, and you add communication and a, and a partner and a cross pan yeah. and moving and shooting offhand and around barricades. It's stuff they've never done or seen before. Yeah. And it doesn't take a budget to do that.
0: No, it just no.
2: takes investing some time
0: and creativity and, and, I and mean, some
2: creativity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, was, I, I guess I was lucky in my last department. I, I spent my time between two departments. Both of them were great. My last department I retired from when we'd go out and shoot, we would do tactical stuff. We'd move and shoot. Good. We'd have barricades. We'd do offhand shooting. Okay. You're right-handed. Yeah. Okay. your are right. Ar- your right arm is incapacitated. What the hell are you going to do? Yeah. You're still in the gunfight. Yeah. So mag so, change with one arm, right? Yeah, Seems exactly. Don't think ex- about yeah, Exactly. I mean, I think we just, a lot of us get complacent. You know, oh shit! It's another qual. I got to go out there, and I'm allowed one or two off the paper. So, oh man, <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is. And you know, the, there's there's a mental health aspect to that too, right? I mean, most officers are working overtime to make, you know, to make the paycheck that's sustainable for their lives, right? So, you're working sixty hour weeks. Are you going to go shoot in your off time? Are you going to go jujitsu in your off time, or are you going to go see your kid's football
0: game? Absolutely. Or
2: dance or something, right? So there's a quality of life aspect to this as well that is causing shortfalls on the training side when we're asking officers to do stuff on their off time. And and that's something that I've had to deal with throughout my career as well, you know, because we don't always have time to go to the range if we're planning for missions or whatever. So I'm expected to do that on my off time. It's like, well, you know, I've got a three and a four-year-old that that I want to see and spend some time with also. So Um, that's a huge component as well. And, 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 you know, in my opinion, there just needs, there needs to be some serious reform on how officers are trained Yeah, and and it needs to be nationwide.
0: And and I know you, you do a lot of advocating. You, you mentioned mental health before mental health is on the forefront of every first responder agency on out there right now. I'm not just talking about Leo's, but fire, EMS corrections, paramedics, all those guys Uh, and women, I'm sorry. Uh, what are you seeing out there, Sully, with uh, you talk to a lot of agencies, you talk to a lot of cops, as far as the mental health issue or epidemic we're seeing among first responders right now? What is there? What are some solutions to this with, with the mental health aspect? I think training is a big part of it. When you feel confident yeah. and you feel, OK, I'm I'm a competent shooter, I, I know tactics. And st- I think that's a big portion uh, portion yeah. of it. Right.
2: I, I think so too. And I think preparing officers to handle the job that we're asking them to do. Like, you know, if you're the one that the only one that can respond to an active shooter, don't you think we should be training you to respond to an active shooter? Absolutely. It, it mental health is is huge for me. It was it was a big aspect of my my career as a leader in, in special warfare. And I've carried that over into my my retirement and, and advocating for mental health care, or mental health care for veterans, um, specifically. SOF. And I will say, in the first maybe six seven months of community first, every time I spoke to a police officer, I asked them where they needed help, mm-hmm. and overwhelmingly, the number one response was mental health. Yeah. Not training, not tactics, not shooting, mental health. And I, I and this is purely my opinion. Um, I, I see the first responder community about 10 years behind the special operations community yeah. on the mental health side, right? They're just now coming in to the conversation and the realization that there is a problem and it's getting worse. And if we don't do something, it, it, it becomes an epidemic, if not already. Yeah. And I think that's a cultural thing. Yeah. And, you know, I we agree. had that in, in soft where you, you not, weren't necessarily looked at poorly, but it it affected your profession and, and your, your status in your group if you were open and honest about your mental health. And it took a lot of work for guys to actually start communicating and talking about it. And when they did, it made a significant difference. Yeah. And, you know, when I look at law enforcement, that is where I think the first step that needs to happen is to make it culturally acceptable for men and women to talk about their mental health issues and not have to worry about losing their job or being ostracized or, or have people talking behind their backs. Right? It yeah. needs to be a commonplace situation.
0: I agree. And, I I agree, brother. I mean, you know, like, again, I, I think departments are different. I think you get some departments that are really proactive and really good and then other departments that talk yeah. to talk and spew a bunch of shit. And then, you know, nothing happens. I talk to first responders all the time because I work in behavioral health and their number one complaint bearing in mind that there's always two sides of the story is the brass is not supporting me, or I don't feel uh, supported by, you know, the command staff, or, or I went through this OIS or whatever, and I didn't get the support I needed. So you're exactly right. And you hit on something that I didn't realize. I mean, I have known for a while now that the special for, uh, special uh, uh, special forces communities have been employing mindfulness techniques, yoga, yeah. you know, all these different, uh, you know, mental health aspects to, to better themselves. I mean, there's a reason why professional athletes do it and they yeah. do other modalities because it works. It does, you know, and it's amazing. And you hit it. And I mean, yeah, law enforcement is way behind in this way behind and nobody's breaking down the doors to become a cop anymore. Thank God that there still are people, men and women who want to do it, but recruitment has gone down, brother. You know that. I mean, Recruitment's
2: down retirement's up. It's a bad recipe right now. It's a bad
0: recipe. So
2: yeah, we need to change the narrative. And, and I think it's, I feel like the shift is coming, if if not, has already started to where people are now realizing the importance of law enforcement and, and even those who are critical of law enforcement. And not that we shouldn't be critical of law enforcement, right? We have to hold yeah, we should. police to a yeah. high standard. They're, they're there to protect the public and serve the public.
0: Exactly. But we also
2: shouldn't be chastising them for their failures, right? We should be asking, well, why did they fail and how do we resolve that issue? instead of saying police are bad let's get rid of the police yeah that's not the answer and that in itself the 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 role that that plays on on the mental psyche as well in some of those states where they've been very very critical of law enforcement i I can't imagine anybody wanting to be a police officer in that area no and i I totally understand why people want to get out of there and retire or transfer and it's 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 difficult
0: yeah i mean it's it's definitely you know i I retired in 2019 and after 23 years and um when I was a young cop, I mean it's it's just changed so much I mean the job is the yeah. job you know, go investigate and arrest bad yeah. people. but as far as you know when I first started brother, I mean we didn't have you know social media we didn't have uh yeah. you know politicians openly condemning law enforcement in a lot of cases and we didn't have that maybe it was there yeah. we just just it just wasn't prevalent like it is now, but I tell, first responders all the time, the overwhelming majority of people out there, 90-something percent, high 90s support and love you. You know, I wish there were more vocal, but that's what we we have to work with, you know, but the majority of people support you. Absolutely. You just got to go out there, man, and, and and keep giving it. And thankfully, and thank God, there, there are men and women who do that every day. I agree. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I love what you're doing, man, because I think it thank is you. so so important um i go back to the few well a handful of critical incidents uh mm-hmm. i was involved in and we were we were trained up i mean we this, this is stuff that most cops don't deal with i mean not every cop is going to have a pulse nightclub incident in their yeah. career yeah. but we were we were. i was lucky brother to be in an agency where everybody all the street officers went through swat school you know that really? was one thing the chief you know, mandated. And we all got, you know, we learned tactics and I had military, a little bit of military training coming in, but you're exactly right. And what scares me, Sully is again, not to sound all fucking doom and gloom, but all the crap going on in the world, man. Um, it's, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, and we need our first responders to be, (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, you have, you have,
2: have, Two options, right? You can protect yourself or you can rely on the police. And I say the majority of this country relies on the police and, and, you know, they need to be prepared and an act of terrorist coming. It, it is yeah. right. There's going to be more school shootings. Yeah. And, you know, until we can eliminate that, that from society, I am going to continue to try and get this training into the hands of the people that need it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and they should be looking for it, right? We have to be proactive as police officers in finding and getting the best training we can. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about overseas. It, it's hard for me to see how much money we are sending to other countries to fix their problems. <sighs> and we could throw a, a percentage, a small percentage of that money into law enforcement in this country and make a humongous impact on what we have right now. Well, and and, and be, we're just not doing it. And that's part of the me being proactive and, and being the squeaky wheel and trying to get people to realize, hey, we, we can fix this problem. We, we just have to have to invest in it.
0: Well, I think yeah. that goes back to our reactive nature, right? I oh, mean, well, yeah. you know, we, we're going to wait till shit hits the fan. Something happens. Oh, I guess we ought to do something instead of being more proactive on the front end, like you advocate for. And I totally agree with that. Yeah. I mean, but we we're always in this reactive mode. You know, oh shit, something yeah. happened. I guess we better do something. You Hope know?
2: is not a strategy, right? <laughs> Hope is, I, I say that all the time. I know. You, you, you said it a couple minutes ago that, you know, most officers go through their career without being in an active shooter or, or, but, but or really severe.
0: Yeah, but it's not a, you know, I but remember. Show me that. which
2: one's going to be in it next. Yeah, you exactly. Know, right. So we have to be prepared because it might be you. You might be the one you don't know. So everybody has to be prepared for the worst case, and let's hope the worst case doesn't happen. I think one at least the, we're ready for
0: it. I think one of the best examples again was that shooting where the cops went in there—that lone shooter who was struggling with her identity. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. They went in there and, and took, took care of it.
2: They did. Boom. But you know, and and I, I, I and this is going to sound bad because I think those officers are heroes, and I think they did a fantastic job. But we still need to look critically at oh
0: absolutely. Response, right? Absolutely. And
2: you know, at, at the end of the day, I don't know how many times they shot at her, but she had four bullet holes in her. Yeah. And I know they shot more than four times from you know 25 feet away. Yeah. Right? yeah. We we can't miss shots that close. Yeah. She was fortunate enough, he she um to be in a corner. So hopefully those rounds went into the wall. But you know, if she were in a That's hallway good. with kids behind her, the where backdrop. were those rounds going? Yeah, the back Where were those rounds going? And you know there are a lot of blue on blues, uh, like not blue on blues, but buddy sweeps. If if you watch the the, the training close, so it, it's just one of those things. I, I applaud all those officers. Any officer that goes into a situation like that, especially with the willingness that those officers did, phenomenal. And you know let's build off of that and continue to get better. Backdrop and then like the individual points of performance. There was a lot of like buddy sweeps going on. So but what at the end of the day, those officers were heroes. And the the speed and the efficiency and the deliberate. Um, nature that they use is an awesome baseline for for future performance right yeah. that is that is a standard compared to Uvalde. so let's take that let's find out you know where we can improve and let's take that and make it better yeah. And and that's what we need. You know, I come from a community where we're critical of everything. We review and we do an AAR after action review for everything we do, training, real world, it doesn't matter. We are always looking to be better. Yeah. Every day we come to work, I want to be better than the day before. Because if I'm not, somebody's going to take my job.
0: That is. Uh, absolutely. Now, Sully, do you go into like private organizations, you know, and, and businesses? I know some other team guys do that a lot. Yeah, we,
2: we, um, we would do that on a for-profit side. That, okay. That's not a, that's not a donor thing. Um, okay. You know, but if a business wanted to sponsor the nonprofit to come in, we would absolutely do it. Okay. And I would, you know, if you have listeners that are in that that capacity, I would ask them to sponsor their local police force to come okay. train at their facility. Right. So then we can, we can also affect the rest of the community as well as their organization, whether it's a private school, whether it's a Walmart or or something like that. We would absolutely love to help them out. Yeah. Um, we just wouldn't be able to fund a private
0: organization. Absolutely. Because I think, you know, the we used to go in and we used to talk to, you know, businesses. Okay. Yeah. An active shooter comes in or whatever. Uh, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to call you. Okay. What about the interim? You know, it's going to take yeah. us a while. Dispatch. Get us dispatched. We roll to it. Yeah. What are you going to do in the two, three minutes it takes for us to, to get there in the interim? And a lot of yeah. people have no idea. And then why should they? They, 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 they they don't train for this stuff like, like you and I do, but I always thought that that was a good idea, you know, for, for law enforcement to go into organizations and say, all right, this is what you do or schools are, you know, a big thing now where cops are going into schools and they're working with staff to train with active dude, active shooters, but businesses too, I think is very important.
2: Yeah. No. And it's unfortunate that that's where we're at in this, in this country right now and in other countries as well. But it's important. And it, yeah. it's a conversation that needs to be had. Think of any nightclub, right? And I, I have talked to some nightclubs in the area and um, you know, look at Vegas, look at Pulse. There, there's so many examples of things happening. And not only does the staff not know what to do, in a lot of cases, security doesn't know what to do and the general public doesn't know what to do because okay. it's just so unexpected and nobody thinks it's going to happen to them. and Nobody wants it to happen, right? Idealistically, nobody wants this to happen.
0: Yeah. I but mean, it doesn't I, mean it won't. And maybe I'm just, I bet it was a cop too long. And I don't know if you're like this, but I'm always, I'm still yeah. like, (laughs) I go somewhere and I'm like, shit. And see the exits and all this other Situational awareness. Yeah, situational Situational awareness. Yeah, I mean, you got never taken the same route and all this other stuff. Maybe I'm just too (laughs) much.
2: No, not at all. It's it's second nature to us, right? That's that's how we live our lives, right? Yeah. You know, and I I use some of the school shootings as examples of, of situational. And, you know, if you want to talk about the attack in Israel where people are just watching this unfold instead of getting away. And there were instances where, you know, speaking to some police where they're going through after the fact, and there's dead children with cell phones and the video is still running recording because their response to this happening was to pull their phone out and record not to get away.
0: Isn't that, yeah, it's it's just, it's it's horrible. Yeah. It's culture, you know, and you see it a lot where, you know, getting back to domestically where you know there's a fight or something like that somebody's getting yeah. beat up and instead of rendering aid i guess sometimes they do they're pulling yeah. out their cell phone you know or an officer in a yeah. struggle
2: and they just yeah. let it happen and they laugh and, and videotape it right yeah it's, it's, it's i don't insane. know how we got there as a society and i don't know if we were always there and we just weren't aware of it because there wasn't you know the easily accessible information that there is today but it's 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 scary and yeah. it's makes you question a lot of, a lot of viewpoints of some of the the people we live next to.
0: Well, I'm glad brother, there's people like you out there, uh, you know, helping, helping train our first responders to become better because that's, that's what it is about brother. You hit it. I mean, it's that, it's, you know, it's that constant. All right. Okay. We hit this. Let's go to this level. Let's go to this level. Let's go to this level. And the only way you do that is with repetition and training.
2: Agreed. If you want to work under stress, you need to train under stress. And and that's the bottom line. We're going to help these officers solve problems under stress.
0: Andrew Sullivan, brother, people want to reach out to you. Sully. how can they find you, my friend?
2: Uh, Website is C1P.org. And if you want to hit me up on Instagram, it's community underscore first underscore project. And feel free to email me or message me on either one. I, I track both uh obviously if you want to make a contribution you can donate directly on the website if you are a police officer watching this and you want to talk and and see if we can come help you out you can reach out to me on either one of those uh, platforms as well or if you're someone that wants to sponsor training for your local law enforcement reach out to me and let's talk you know i will never not have a conversation with someone and and try to figure out a solution
0: yeah andrew sully sullivan thank you brother for your service again to this great country my friend Please stay safe. I think there's a book in your future, Sully. You, <laughs> well, you got a book in you, dude.
2: Uh, we'll see. I'm not a big, <laughs> not a big advocates of books from my well, community, anyway. Well, but
0: yeah. all the all those seals are right books now, right? <laughs>
2: uh, hey, uh, Might be a picture book though, but maybe a coloring book. I don't know. We'll, we'll see.
0: All right, brother. Take uh, care. Uh, thank friend. you. I appreciate Bye. you.